Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, I wanted to combine something wonderful with something awful. So I'm finally answering that age-old question, will your cat eat you if you die alone in your house? The answer wouldn't surprise a zombie lover like Josh. Speaking of Josh, he's going to discuss some truly eco-friendly content. That's that term we recently invented to mean mainstream content that takes less resources to inform you that it exists, and it's also highly recyclable, able to be enjoyed through multiple consumption cycles. This content I'm referring to today is the zombie drama TV series, The Walking Dead. The larger mainstream culture may have fallen out of love with this show, but Josh has not. And he'll even tell you exactly where to jump back in if you're like me and you haven't been watching, but you want to enjoy the finale like a true contentologist. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Britt. Josh. How are you? Good. Let me tell you something. Great. <laughs> I ate a breakfast burrito for dinner. Living that bachelor lifestyle. <laughs> uh, I'm not a bachelor, but I guess uh, I am living the bachelor lifestyle. That is true. Um, hey, before we go any further, I do want to read some fan mail. And then we need to have a little corrections corner. Uh, thanks to the eagle-eared... Uh, eagle... Ear-eyed listeners that we have. <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> I should have written That's that down. Earful, Brett. I, th- I, right, I, I thought of it. that earlier, but uh, yeah. So our friend and fan DV he responded to your call to action about what recommendations were reson- resonating with our listeners. So DV uh, he wrote the last series he got me hooked on was Old Man's War. On your last podcast, Josh covered Daniel Suarez. Now this may have been the email that was in our inbox for a little while because that was. Uh, not the last podcast, <laughs> but he goes on to say that he uh, he says, I would have never found this author without your podcast. Absolutely hooked on Delta V, even when uh, even went with the audiobook at first for me, being familiar with diving and EVA suits. He is either an expert on both of these or does extensive research to get the details exactly right. I will definitely be listening to all of his books. Keep up the great work. DV. That's pretty awesome. I I thought DV was going to say that he likes Delta V because it has his initials, but uh, (laughs) sounds like it goes a little deeper than that. And you know, I've kind of thought the same thing. I mean, I mentioned it in the show about Daniel Suarez. Seems like he must be a skydiver or no skydivers or something because his descriptions of skydiving are just like, they're just so detailed and things (laughs) that you wouldn't think of if you're just a, a layman. And that's interesting. To hear, you know, a, a diver, scuba diver, also saying that the descriptions are good in his books. Yeah, DV he's, works, he's good at that stuff. DV worked at that. Um, what was it? Is it the Neutral Buoyancy uh, Laboratory? Is that what it's called? That is a giant yeah, for tank NASA, that, right? Yeah, that trains astronauts exactly. Where they like put the ISS together underwater. So he probably knows what he's talking about when it comes to uh, diving details. You would think so. so <laughs> Daniel Suarez, another. Tick mark on the uh, on the board of excellence. Yes, definitely. Um, so as for the important correction, um, and this is DV with his eagle-eared eyes. 
<laughs> I guess I can't I see I'm trying to say I don't want to say eagle ears because I don't think eagles have good hearing. I'm trying to say that our listeners have eagle-eyed ears. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Eagle-eyed ears. Yeah, so their yeah. ears are calibrated to the same <laughs> level as an eagle's <laughs> eyes. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh this was DV and he actually reached out to me more recently to remind me that it was F-18s that were operating with the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group in 2004 when the Tic Tac UAP incident occurred. And this is the one that you so brazenly- Or did it. Try, exactly. You were, <laughs> you were trying to dispute the legitimacy of this on the last episode. And I, feel, I wasn't actually. <laughs> I know, I know. I was not. <laughs> So I actually I feel a bit bad about this because I went out of my way to correct you uh, that it wasn't Commander Fravor that got the Tic Tac footage. And here I was saying that they're F-16s. So thanks, Derek, a.k.a. DV, as always, for keeping us honest. And also, you keep up the great work. And thanks for the listener mail. We appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I feel um, I feel like I'm back on track now. After having you corrected in public, I feel much better now. <laughs> and me checking the email <laughs> once a month. Exactly. So what's been going on with you? Uh, I just got back from a uh, little mini vacation. Uh, my sister-in-law just graduated from nurse anesthetist school. And uh, she was top of the class, so she was pretty happy about that. We went out there and just went, hung out with her and swimming with the kids for, I'd say we probably did about, two to four hours of swimming each day we were there it was awesome and uh yeah now i'm back home that's it was pretty much a whirlwind trip that's it was no uh it was no e-foil but it was still pretty fun (laughs) when you asked her uh what's it feel like to be a nurse anesthetist did she say i feel nothing yes feels (laughs) kind of numb (laughs) well that's very cool quite the accomplishment um also we have a quick announcement uh, I don't think we're going to have a show next week. Uh, I doubt it. I have a very full schedule. I will be working nights, and Josh is only available uh, during nights. So like two ships passing in the night, we will not see each other. Like soon. gorillas in the mist. Exactly. No, we uh, we love making this show for you, but sometimes life does get in the way, and uh, we pretty much hustle as hard as we can to get the show out each week but it's true i think uh you guys are probably used to it by now occasionally a a show does not come out but just rest assured that when we don't have a show we're probably hard at work putting together an outline for the next episode so we'll be back as soon as we can absolutely um probably uh the week after next is what we're planning on well do you want to jump right into my off top because i have something truly up your alley well, all right, let's do it, buddy. <laughs> Tear me a new off-top hole. So with everything going on in the world, uh, you know, I think it's, I think just things that are happening are really reminding me that life is filled with both wonderful things and horrible things. And to honor our reality, uh, this light coexisting with the dark, I wanted to come up with a kind of fun, but also a kind of awful off-top subject that Combines the ah with the ah, <laughs> and I think Can't I nailed it, Josh. It is, yeah. <laughs> so, 
So there's nothing cuter than a sweet, sweet kitten, and there's possibly nothing more horrific than getting eaten. So today I will be discussing a (laughs) popular question. Will a cute little kitty cat eat its dead owner if given the chance? Any theories on this, Josh? Uh, Well, you know I'm leaning towards most animals being real life (laughs) monsters. And uh, I don't think cats are any exception to that rule. In fact, I think that the only reason cats aren't eating us at all times is because we outweigh them, you know, by maybe tenfold. (laughs) So, yeah, I think the answer to that is, yeah, of course a cat's going to eat you if you die. Well, of course I expected you um, reveling in these dark subjects to be more in touch with reality uh, than maybe a, a few more optimistic people out there but delusional um, cat owners <laughs> exactly so i to find the answer to this popular urban myth i did some googling and i found two different articles that discuss this at length will my cat eat me if i die science holds the delicious answer uh, this comes from tara yarlagata published on inverse.com and will your cat eat your corpse comes from brianna flynn in the science section of wired.com Links, of course, to everything in the show notes. So Tara writes, The question has crossed most cat owners' minds at least once. Would their sweetly purring feline ever choose to eat them? Is the urban legend true? And Brianna writes, Here's a morbid hypothetical. Let's say you died suddenly all alone in your house. Would your cat eat you? It's a question that's kept many a pet owner awake at night. So apparently... This is a very common thing to wonder, and as you correctly guessed, the consensus among experts is it does happen. So a couple of studies here. Uh, There was a 1994 study published which found some cats consumed the head, neck, and arm of their dead owner. Um, (laughs) The the neck. (laughs) So I I don't think this one is uh, quite as applicable maybe to the average uh, cat owner. But you see there's a lot of ethical concerns with testing this sort of hypothesis. So they're they're sort of um, forced to scrap together what kind of information they can find that they sort of stumble upon. So this is a 2020 study that it's cited in both of these articles that I read. And uh, this came out of the Forensic Investigation Research Station at Colorado Mesa University. And I actually looked up this scientific paper, and its full title is The Scavenging the Scavenging Patterns of Feral Cats on Human Remains in an Outdoor Setting. Oof. <laughs> Quite the title. Yes, very descriptive. So a little backstory on this. They were conducting a study on body decomposition, and in separate incidents, forensic researchers unintentionally captured footage of two feral cats feasting on human corpses. Also, to make this a little more disturbing, the cats picked favorites, each returning to their preferred body multiple times over the course of several weeks. (laughs) Now, the Wired article is clear that this doesn't mean that all cats will eat their humans given the chance, or even that most cats will, but we have to keep in mind, hunger is a huge motivator for any creature, and let's be honest, I think we both knew the answer to this question would definitely be yes, so... Uh, my personal biggest takeaway from this question actually is that it's it's normal to have a little morbid curiosity, 
And also the internet is full of really terrific rabbit holes to follow that remind us of all the wonders and horrors of this adventure-filled life, and you just have to think of a disturbing question and type it into your favorite internet search engine. <laughs> and <laughs> you, uh, I think they're going to follow this study up with uh, another study for the help uh, to the benefit of delusional pet owners. Is my eight-foot python snuggling with me or just seeing if its jaw will dislocate <laughs> oh, wide God. enough to get around my body? This I I feel like with the with the boa constrictors and the snakes like I feel like I hear about this once a year. I I feel like it happened. They they probably have a lot more data uh, for those studies. Uh, yeah, I mean, like a cat is at least a warm blooded mammal that has <laughs> I don't know a, a modicum of personality. A snake is like seriously just it, it literally is just a monster that couldn't <laughs> care less about you. And uh, people that. Uh, think that their snakes are cuddling with them are really just future snake food. <laughs> you know, well, speaking of um, pointing out that our pets are possibly just terrifying monsters in disguise, I actually did find one more article in my uh, quote-unquote research that is uh, called Horrifying Stories of Animals Eating Their Owners. And other grisly details we learned about our pets from a forensic anthropologist. And, of course, where did this come from? BuzzFeed News. So if anybody out there is going to accuse me of singling out your cat and and pointing out that your cat's probably a monster, uh, apparently all of our pets might, uh, might eat us and nibble on our corpses when we die. So um, we should all be afraid, really. It's... I think it's way more disturbing to imagine uh, like a sweet, sweet Mando or sweet, sweet Polly, <laughs> beautiful little designer dog eating us after we die. Because that seems I feel like I feel like my dog should have way more respect for me than that. <laughs> if I uh, if I die, she should at least try to call 911 or something, get my body taken away in a respectful manner. You know, I would expect that from a dog. I you you would think so, um, and I, I hate to tell you this. I could see Mando calling nine one one, but I don't really expect that from Polly. <laughs> <laughs> Mando's very well trained. <laughs> well, if you like, I said, if you want to follow this dark rabbit hole, check out that those articles. Uh, if you're a dog owner, you know maybe you want to not click on the last link, but um, uh, yeah, it might be hard to imagine, but these things do happen, unfortunately. So. Remember, we got to take the the light with the dark. And your pets are going to get you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's uh, very disturbing. And thank you, Brett. That's exactly the kind of thing I like to think about. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. That's why I curated this off top just for you. It's perfect. So what do you have so on what's your... what's on oh. uh, your content oh, okay. circuit? I beat you to it. Yes, you did. Well, I actually have um, a good handful of things, even though I've been... Pretty much, I'm I'm sitting in exactly the same spot I was uh, when we talked last week. I've actually been working very hard, um, but when I am at work, I I do manage to have a pretty healthy content circuit. Whether I'm just unwinding from a long day of flying, or uh, I have a day off and I, it's just like my veg out time to relax. Um, so I, I'm reading "On the Road" by Jack Kerouac right now. This was gifted from the Camp V artist, Obi. 
And I feel like it's one of those books that I thought I'd read, but it's not ringing a bell. I feel like I just know a lot about it because of pop culture. Um, But it's a great book. The Old Ways is a movie that I told you about that absolutely terrified me. I never see I never watch scary movies and I was just in a mood for a scary movie the other night. And it is it is truly terrifying and fantastic. Uh, Did you get a chance to see that? I haven't watched it yet, but that's definitely up there at the top of my list. It is especially like fantastic. a horror recommendation coming from you. It's very rare, so I know it's got to be something special. It, it is very good. Um, it's on Netflix right now. I highly recommend it. Blood Red Sky is also a horror movie that I watched. Um, I wouldn't put it quite up there with The Old Ways, but it was a fun watch. It's kind of a uh, vampires on a plane take, if you will. Heist, vampires, and airplanes. What can go wrong when you combine those types of things? I already had that one on my list. And uh, actually, I, I started it for a second, but then it was like late at night. I fell asleep. But am I correct that it is dubbed? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was. I was watching on my on my phone, and it was like kind of hard to tell. Yeah. But it's like a, it's like a German film, right? Um. That's a good question. I don't know what the original. Actually, it's this is one of those ones I didn't watch in the original language with subtitles. I actually watched it dubbed. Uh, that was the default setting for my Airbnb's Netflix uh, watching of this film, actually. And the dubbing seemed actually it, it seemed really good. So I just continued to watch it dubbed. Interesting. Um, I wonder if there is an option to watch it in subtitles. I didn't see that whenever I clicked on it. So gotcha. maybe I'll dig around and see if I can find well, that. Well, there's definitely English subtitles, but I don't know. There, it's got to be available in the original language as well. Um, so a couple of veg out shows, which is just like, I need to turn my brain off before bed. I've been watching Rick and Morty, which is actually a really fantastic show. Uh, this was recommended by a skydiving buddy of mine from Delta. Uh, shout out to Joey if he ever listens to the Content Clearing House. Um, but he was right. Rick and Morty is absolutely fantastic. It just took... Until season two for me to really warm up to it and see the genius of it. So I'm I'm happy that I stuck around and I had an open mind about it. Um, I'm watching this like super over the top ridiculous drama called Manifest. And this is really just like a background show, but it seems to be very popular. And I want to see what all the kids are watching these days. And then finally, last night, a couple of crew members and I. We went out to see Suicide Squad, the new James Gunn version, in theaters. And I met my boss, the chief pilot, for the first time at the movies. So that was nice. <laughs> so how was the movie? It was great. I I really enjoyed it. I had no idea it was going to be uh, quite as gruesome as it was. Um, I, 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 I think it's rated R, but I... I, well, I know it's rated R, but I think it should be like a R plus or maybe a hard R. Like it's pretty, it's pretty gruesome. It's pretty gory. It's interesting to see, you know, cause I'm a big Guardians of the Galaxy fan and they really have to keep those movies like PG 13 for mainstream audiences. Um, so it's fun to see the James Gunn style. Like he definitely has like a really fun, engaging style of movie making and to, to see him like, just pull out all the stops when it comes to gore is kind of fun. So I, I enjoyed it, but it definitely, uh, I wouldn't take your kids. 
I've heard nothing but good things about that. And it's like a like a soft reboot of the first Suicide Squad or like how is it related? Do you know? Well, I think um, a soft reboot is probably a good uh, a good uh, term to describe it. It, it's also the term that describes the entire DC right. cinematic universe. <laughs> they keep just trying to re- like redo it because, <laughs> but I, you know, the difference is this movie didn't suck. It was awesome. Right. Like that's the problem with the first suicide squad is it had so much potential and that's all it was, was just a movie full of potential. Like this movie rose to the occasion, but I, I don't see it as a replacement to the first suicide squad. It totally could be just a continuation of the story. Um, with, you know, some of the characters coming back with the same actors. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say it's a reboot, but, um, it's somewhere in a gray area for sure. Yeah. It's so, it's the DC movies are such a tangled web. (laughs) It really like, it really puts into focus, like how much of a astronomical accomplishment what the MCU has done is, it's just like so unlikely that it'd be going now, like whatever it is, like 29 movies long and just it's a hundred percent consistent across the board for the most part, the same actors other than a few replacements early on. It's just like such a unprecedented accomplishment in cinematic history. And DC is it's just a, a perfect magnifying glass to hold over it, to show you, how unlikely that is and how amazing it is that it exists in the first place. Do you think there's like a DC Kevin Feige equivalent that is slowly becoming a supervillain arch nemesis in <laughs> the world of content because he's just like just in a cold sweat waking up from nightmares every night just dreaming of how Marvel is destroying him and his reputation. <laughs> I would say yes if it wasn't more likely that whoever's in charge over there keeps getting fired and replaced every time a movie comes out. <laughs> that, is, that is part of the problem right there. It's like there's probably <laughs> yeah. no consistent leadership. There's probably just a lot of quarreling producers and directors. Um, but hey, James Gunn, like more power to him to try to like bring things together. But he's probably, you know, He's not the one to put together an entire universe. Like, he's the person to prove that you have to start with a good movie first. Like, that's why the universe is so good, because it has so many great movies. So if DC can focus on, you know, not trying to copy Marvel, first of all, and just making good movies that fit together, like, maybe that's where they can, um, you know, and hey... I'm available for uh, as a content <laughs> consultant. Yeah, you have a degree in everything. Exactly. From Harvard. It's a real thing. James Gunn, <laughs> whoever the current president of the DC universe is, yeah. give Brett a call. Kenneth Fuji, ring me up, buddy. <laughs> I know you're out there in the, in the DC multiverse. A shitty knockoff name. <laughs> so what's on your circuit, buddy? Uh, I didn't get a whole lot of content time for new stuff over the last week, but I did watch one thing on Plex, um, the movie Nobody, which is uh, stars Bob Odenkirk. He's basically the, if Saul Goodman was John Wick, is basically what the movie oh, really? is. <laughs> yeah, it's really awesome. He's like a unassuming, kind of like sad sack, suburban 
dad, but he's got this background. They reveal this in the trailer. He's a he was what they call an auditor for various uh, various three letter organizations. And uh, if he showed up on your doorstep, it was basically like, you know, that that was probably your last day on Earth. And uh, it's about him like coming out of retirement. Very, it's very John Wick esque. Except what I really liked about it was that how John Wick is kind of like the reluctant assassin. Uh, in this movie, he is just so eager for people to cross the line so he can like dust off his old skills. It is really good. I, I would recommend it to anybody that likes action. If you like John Wick, if you like Bob Odenkirk, you like uh, creative Home Alone style traps. Nice. But lethal. It's good. It's got all that. It's kind of hard to imagine Bob Odenkirk as a John Wick character. So like I am already super intrigued because Odenkirk, anything he's in, like it's an incredible performance. And really, I've only seen him in two shows, but uh, it's an incredible performance. Uh, you said he wa- watched this on Plex. Yeah, which is like a uh, it's like a movie uh, platform where. I guess, I mean, it has Black Widow on it right now. I guess it has a lot of current theatrical releases on it. And I have a friend that was able to get me access to it, which uh, I, th- I think it's kind of like, I'm not, not even sure really how it works, but I'm under the in- under the impression that it's kind of like an invite-only platform. Is this illegal? And, no, it's completely legal. I mean, it's, a, it's an app you can download. It's just getting the uh, access credentials, I think, is the hard part. Huh. But I watched Greenland, which is that uh, asteroid movie with uh, Gerard Butler a long time ago, like right when it came out. And there's they have a lot of really great brand new stuff on there. I watched Tenet on there while it was still in the theaters. Wow. So, yeah, if you can somehow get access to a, a Plex account, then you're riding dirty when it comes to watching movies. Well, maybe I'll just try to steal your life and replace you. And then I will have access to a Plex account. That seems like the easiest way to get (laughs) brand new movies on your phone. Well, thank you for your Plex Flex. That's (laughs) pretty awesome. And thank you for the clever rhyme. (laughs) All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to get into some content. What are some assumptions people make about you? What do they assume about you because of your profession, appearance, hobbies, or tastes? And how many of those assumptions are actually wrong? My name is Dave Kimball, and I'm the host of the Don't Assume podcast, a weekly show where my friends and I lay out all of our assumptions about one topic a week and invite in guest experts to validate or refute those assumptions. So if you want to check your own assumptions about doctors, racial division, skydiving, guns, flight attendants, or any number of other topics. Come check us out at at Don't Assume Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and find the Don't Assume Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you like to listen. The Don't Assume Podcast is streaming now. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Josh Evans, Bob Odenkirk, and John Wick. These three things may seem unrelated, but content brings them all together. And what kind of content do you have for me? 
well, I can guarantee you it has to do with shooting things. Okay. Just like those other two uh, content <laughs> providers. Uh, so it's never a mystery to the audience what we're going to be covering. It's only a mystery to you or I. So today, Brett, I want to play a game. Oh, I'm gonna oh give boy. you. <laughs> I'm going to give you hints about this extremely well-known piece of content. And you have to guess what it is. And this is entirely for the audience's uh, sake. Uh, just to hear you try to struggle your way through these hints that don't reveal very much about the content at all. Well, if there's Actually, anything I, think... I know, struggling <laughs> is right up there. So Yeah, <laughs> that is kind of your the definition of your life lately. <laughs> um, all right, so first hint. It's a TV show. Any guesses? No, but it doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> all right. It launched in 2010. Okay. These are these are the two out of the three guesses? No, no, I got oh, a lot okay. of hints. Okay, I was just okay. starting uh extremely obtuse. Um uh, 18 MCU actors have also appeared in this series including three in starring roles. Wow. Okay, this has definitely got to narrow it down, but it doesn't necessarily mean I've heard of it. Is oh, you've it, heard of it? Is it related to Marvel? Cuz that's the only thing I can think of. Nope. Okay. All right. All right. You want another hint? Yeah, I, d- I need another All hint. All right. This one might actually help. During the course of the show, the characters have traveled rough- roughly 650 miles up the east coast of America. Okay. They've traveled up the east coast. So it must be some kind of nomadic show. Okay. <laughs> I, st- I still got nothing. All right. The show features several British actors doing their best Southern accents, sometime extremely questionable. <laughs> oh, really? All right. Well, now I'm thinking, if I'm thinking British actors uh, overlapping with the MCU, um, Benedict Cumberbatch is coming to mind. Um, and so I'm trying to think of a show where he would be traveling up the East Coast. So I don't know who's in Peaky Blinders. Is that a, that's an old timey. Something industrial nah. revolution? No, that's that's a British. Not even show, close. That's English. Okay, it, it was a good guess, but not even okay. close. All right. Uh, although this show is extremely popular, it is also very polarizing. It's kind of like Avatar, where people don't really want to admit that they like it. Oh my gosh. Um. Hmm. Interesting. Ah, I still got nothing. All right. Can you can you it's narrow about it on? zombies? It's about zombies. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, are you talking about The Walking Dead? You got are it, you, buddy. Wait, there's no MCU actors. In, wait, Michonne. Michonne. Denai Guerrero, yeah. Michael Rooker. Oh, um, of Ross Marquand, he played Red Guardians Skull. Of the Galaxy. Oh, John yeah. Bernthal played The Punisher. And there are a lot of other bit actors. But oh. those, are, uh, those are big ones. That's good. So, John Bernthal. See, I, w- I was thinking like MCU movies. But you're talking like Marvel properties. That's very well done. Yeah. Very well done. Well, uh, if there's three things you can count on with the Content <laughs> Clearinghouse, it's we're probably going to talk about skydiving. We're probably going to talk about UAPs. And at some point, I'm going to bring up zombies because I love them. <laughs> yeah. So I figured with the final season of The Walking Dead happening right now, it seems like an appropriate time to cover this. 
And for anyone who is unfamiliar with The Walking Dead, get out. It is. A, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll give you a synopsis. It's a. Uh, it's the it's the story of four women, a writer, a socialite, an art gallery employee, and a lawyer living and experiencing New York City through their sexual exploits. What? <laughs> oh no, wait, that's Sex in the City. That's Sex in the City, of course. <laughs> that is not what The Walking Dead is. The Walking Dead is the cultural phenomenon of a zombie show, and it's the very definition of eco-friendly content. Uh, it's something that almost everyone has heard of. You may already have an opinion of it, and uh, that opinion is probably based on some of the, th- the same things that my low opinion was based on it at one point. And so I'm kind of here to, you know, see if I can bring people back into the fold. You want to be the, the Carrie Bradshaw of The Walking Dead. Well, I was going to say Charlotte is the hottest, <laughs> okay. but whatever. And now I know who your preferred pick is. <laughs> So what's your relationship with The Walking Dead? Like, have you watched it? Were you ever a fan or are you still a fan? Oh, Lord. The Walking Dead and I go back. um, Now I feel like this is like a Sex in the City narrative at the beginning of one of those episodes. Little voiceover. Yeah. You typing. So honestly, um, I was a huge fan of The Walking Dead. I was watching since the beginning. I uh, when we all lived in Arvada, that's how long The Walking Dead has been going on. Like, there's times in my life when I can remember, like, leaving The Walking Dead and coming back to The Walking Dead. Uh, but when we, were, when we were living together, um, this was probably in, like, I don't know, 2011-ish. I was a huge fan. I got the graphic novel. I got several several volumes. I read the graphic novel. Um, you know, not every season was perfect. There were seasons that, like, didn't hold my interest as much. And then at some point, I just, like, remember just it fading out of my life. And then I have this distinct memory when I was flying charter jets of all things. So this was like, uh, I think uh, between like 2013 and 2016, somewhere in that range. I remember being at an FBO at an airport and seeing the walking dead on TV. And there was like a redheaded muscular guy. Um, And I remember saying, you know, thinking and actually probably saying out loud to whoever I was flying with or whoever, would listen to me ramble about content. I remember saying, like, I don't watch this anymore. I do not recognize any of these characters. And then at some point recently, it's just been on TV and I'd put it on and I would, you know, relive some of these. Like, I I think I remember talking to you recently about the most controversial episode ever um, with a, uh, a, basically somebody getting, you know, one of the leads from the beginning and a, a fan favorite getting bludgeoned to death. Um, I don't I think we can talk about some spoilers. Can we? Okay. I don't, are, I know, honestly don't remember his name. Three, four years old. Because I haven't been watching consistently. But, um, you know, it's just like, I remember just being like really shocked and being like, oh yeah, this was really an incredible show. Uh, but I haven't, I like have not watched it the last couple of years. So what you're talking about is uh, Glenn, fan favorite, yes. yep, getting his head beat in by Negan, also a fan favorite, which was like that that moment is kind of a turning point in the show. And, uh, you know, like for me, myself, I didn't consider profiling this show because I kind of considered it to be a guilty pleasure in a way. But then I realized I do like this show. Actually, I love this show and I like it for a reason. 
I'd like to think that I'm a discerning consume, uh, consumer of content, or at least Harvard thinks I am, enough to give <laughs> you and I a degree. I mean, that's where we got our contentology that's degrees. 100% true. 100% and true. And they are real. That's right. That's right. They're real. But being a Walking Dead fan in a world of content appreciators, I feel today, these days, it's kind of looked down on. It's kind of considered like watching soap operas or reality TV, which I'm apparently a closet fan of also. See, I, I have openly, I try to be very out of the closet about my love of the, well, maybe not love is the right word, but my enjoyment of watching The Bachelor. Uh, so maybe I should have a little more dignity and self-respect instead of being so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you need to tuck that one away. But I mean, like this show is kind of looked at that way by, I don't know, the internet, at least. The internet loves to hate on The Walking Dead. And, uh, you know, it's kind of considered the show is not good anymore after a very specific point in the show. But I think most people will admit that it was great at one time. Like, in the beginning, the show was very revolutionary. A, a TV show which presents you know, almost an infinite amount of time to tell a zombie story, and that's precisely what you really need to tell a story where the end goal is survival. That takes a lifetime, and no zombie movie can really do that justice. So just putting it into a TV format or, you know, in the beginning, like what Robert Kirkman did with the comic books, into a long-form format was actually a revolutionary idea. And also, a zombie story that seems to deal with real consequences and, and the death of important people it's it's uh in this show you know that's not just common but it's expected and that's also something that a movie doesn't really do because in 90 minutes two and two hours you don't really come to appreciate someone the way you would appreciate like a glenn on the walking dead Definitely. but somewhere along the way this show did lose its way and that was right around season eight which is sounds like just after uh when uh you may have touched base with the show last so in uh, I believe it was season seven or season eight when Negan came in onto the scene and beat Glenn's head in. And that kind of set off this two season arc, the savior war. Negan is the leader of the saviors and two years of just constant action. You think that that would be right in my alley, but it did kind of start to wear down the veneer of the show a little bit. And I know that I almost gave up uh, at the end of season nine. And that was right around the time when uh, the new showrunner came on board, a woman named Angela King. And she pretty much changed everything for the show. She brought the show kind of like back to its roots, got away from it just being nonstop action into a little bit more of like a cerebral show and a show where the, the stakes were raised uh, the consequences were higher. You kind of started to feel like no one was safe. Main characters started dying pretty consistently again. And with the, the combo of Angela King as showrunner and Greg Nicotero as the primary director and effects supervisor, uh, the show, I would say, is now back on track and possibly better than ever. So I'm going to tell you why this show is great and why you should be finishing it with all of us as this uh, this cultural phenomenon, this the series finale starts to draw nearer and nearer to us all. I, I'm curious, do you have like numbers of, I don't know, maybe some statistics of viewership 
early on as opposed to viewership now? Because I imagine my story is not unique in that, like, you know, um, viewership kind of dwindled off a little bit as opposed to other shows where it probably increased, uh, like Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. I'm sure their numbers continued to rise. I don't have those statistics, but uh, based on just kind of like the the temperature around this show, because I've been tracking it just yeah reading about it watching the show pretty much since the beginning and i know when i started to fall off which was uh in around the end of season eight uh i know that that was when kind of the uproar on the internet started and that's when the showrunners started complaining about them losing viewership so i don't know what the exact numbers are but i do know that during the savior war is kind of like when the world started to turn on the show. Gotcha. So the uh, the Walking Dead TV show is based on the comic book series of the same name by Robert Kirkman, Tony Moore, and Charlie Adler. These are the books that you had. Um, and the book started in 2003, has 193 issues, and Kirkman unexpectedly ended the series in April 2019, and that's a move that's being echoed on the show right now. You got so the show which started... What's that? He got bit by a zombie. He did. And he's like, I better get this all out before I turn. <laughs> and so the show, which started in 2010, was originally led by Andrew Lincoln playing Rick Grimes, the main character. And he led an ensemble cast through this modern day American apocalypse. And that cast has included Norman Reedus, Melissa McBride, John Bernthal, Stephen Ewan, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Denai Guerrero, Michael Rooker, Mars, Mars, Ross Marquand. There it is. But uh, the list just goes on and on of like all these stars that have had their careers revitalized or launched by the show. And uh, the show now has expanded into an entire television universe. They have Fear the Walking Dead, which was the first spinoff show. Uh, The World Beyond, which is kind of like the uh, teen drama show, which at first I didn't like. But when it finished, it's a two season run. I was like, man, this show is actually great. There are these upcoming Rick Grimes movies, and there's an unnamed uh, Daryl and Carol spinoff show. There's a you know, if you watch the show, you know Daryl and Carol, but they are they're kind of going to be taking the helm once season eleven ends, and they're going to be getting their own Walking Dead show. Sounds like the Wandavision of the Walking Dead universe. It'll probably be like a cutesy and romantic sitcom style dramedy. And they will take all of the zombie stabbing out of it. It's just going to be about them having fun. Yeah, exactly. They deserve it. Yeah. And plus something that's really cool, which I've never seen a show do this before, is uh, The Talking Dead, which is the Chris Hardwick-helmed post-episode talk show. And uh, I think Talking Dead deserves an honorable mention because it's such a great accoutrement to the TV series. Uh, They, you know, Chris Hardwick, he'll bring on... Uh, people that are on the show, the stars are like super fans. So I'll interview them and they kind of go over like deep dive into the previous episode. But what I love about the show is that Chris Hardwick, you can tell he's a huge fan and he never seems to have any inside info before the show. And uh, he's consistently trying to get his guests to reveal like up cl- upcoming plot points with leading questions. And so you can tell that sometimes you'll like stumble people up and they say stuff they're not supposed to say. And you get like, Oh, I got some inside information watching the talking dead. That's a pretty fun thing. If you're a super fan, you know, that the, the, that the talking dead episode where they were trying to get some spoilers um, out of their actors, but they were like 
pulling teeth, pulling fingernails, shocking them with car battery. Um, that I was shocked they went that far. You weren't as shocked as the guests, but that is <laughs> classic Walking Dead, always yeah. torturing people. That's right. And as far as the show goes, one of the cool things about the series is that they allow their characters to make bad decisions in the beginning. And the first few episodes, I remember yelling at the screen like, come on, you idiots, why are you doing these things? But after watching all three of these spinoff series and seeing that they repeat this storytelling method across all of them, their main characters being kind of idiots in the beginning and then becoming like these well-honed survivalists, I realized, you know, that they were doing this on purpose and it's setting up a long form evolution of the survivors and actually became one of my favorite things about the show, especially since in this universe, zombies do not exist in this world. There's no mythology for these monsters in cinema. Uh, So the characters have no idea really what they're dealing with before they see the zombies. So they have no preconceived notions about stabbing zombies in the head to lean on. So everything they mess up and learn, it's all trial and error. And I think that that kind of lends like an air of believability to their survival. You know, some might disagree with me on this because of things like the evil dead, right? Or like really, really. But in my opinion, the walking dead is the kind of content that sets up other zombie content to have that meta style take of being aware of zombies within that zombified universe. Because without the walking dead, like it's just, it's been on for so long. It has been hugely popular. It is in the, you know, mainstream. Um, In my opinion, more than any other zombie content has ever been before. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it, I've said it a few times, but it is a total cultural phenomenon. So it, it, it is the Walking no Dead other... that sets up that idea yeah. for other zombie content to bring that into the universe, in my opinion. Yeah, I would, I would say that Night of the Living Dead is probably the most recognizable zombie title in history. And then I would say Walking Dead would be the, ne- the, the second most. Yeah, and I, those two I things. I said Evil Dead, and I meant Night of the Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those two. Like when you think of zombies, it kind of depends on what generation you're from. But right. the first thing that pops into someone's mind is either either going to be Night of the Living Dead or The Walking Dead. And the uh, this whole like lack of them knowing what zombies are in their world, it also uh, contributes to them never uttering the word zombie in the show. They always call them walkers or lurkers or biters or roamers yeah. you know they never say zombie so that also that also kind of sets up another bit of mythology and there's there was one uh mythology building moment in this show this is one of my favorite moments from the entire show this is in season one so i'm not worried about spoilers here um but i, I think that when i first saw this i was so taken aback by this episode that i was like hey friends hey crewball you guys want to watch this uh episode six of this show that no one's watching with me because it was <laughs> such an awesome piece of zombie lore, but it's uh, the season one finale where uh, the group visits the CDC and this is kind of their first real, I don't know, their, their first, I guess the meeting with any anyone in the government. And um, they are met by this doctor, Edwin Jenner played by Noah Emmerich. 
and uh, he takes them down to the CDC and he shows them this video of the zombie virus taking over a human body like a CAT scan. And it, it shows like the electrical circuit traveling up the spinal cord. It goes into the brain. It, it spreads out and then the whole brain goes black. And then uh, in the, uh, in the x-ray or CAT scan, you see the bullet go through the zombie's head. And then he explains to them that he was just kind of like a low level tech. He's the last person there. That's really alive working at the CDC, trying to make a difference. And that kind of puts into perspective how far the world has fallen. And then he tells them that the person on the table that they just watched was his wife. And she was like the head of this virology department and that her death was a loss to the world. He just works here. And it's just like this moment of desperation where he knows that like his time is running out. But what he reveals to them is that every human in this world is infected with a zombie virus. And regardless of how you die, you're going to become a zombie anyways. And that's right. And something like that. something like a uh, night, of the living dead, or really any other piece of zombie lore before this, you have to be bitten by a zombie right. to turn into a zombie mm-hmm. in this show. The zombie bite is full of bacteria that is, hundred percent lethal, but that's not what turns you into a zombie. It's dying that turns you into a zombie. And I thought that was such an awesome addition to zombie mythology. And that totally changes the stakes of the entire game. Cause at that point you really can't, I don't know. I would never feel comfortable in any secure location with other humans because what if someone has a heart attack and dies in their sleep? You know, zombies could literally be inside the walls at any point, And that's just kind of based on the fragility of humans in general. Wow, that's a great. Yeah, that definitely I'd kind of forgotten about that. And that really um, lends itself to the constant state of paranoia. It, it definitely goes deeper than just like, you know, losing your your partner to uh, some other guy to take care of your wife and your son because you were trapped in a hospital bed for two months and don't know really what's going on with the world. And like, there's, it's all about the human drama for sure, but tacking that onto it just intensifies it. Yeah. And speaking of human drama, uh, something that, I mean, that leads perfectly into one of the other great things about the show and something that this long form format gives you the opportunity to do is uh, I think it was around season three or four, the catchphrase became fight the dead, fear the living. Uh, I love that eventually they made humans the ultimate enemy in this world. Like even in the face of an incomprehensible and apocalyptic disease, uh, one that makes dead people into monsters, e- even in a world like that, humanity is the absolute worst. It's the only and way that, to go. <laughs> it's easy for me to believe. Yeah. I is. mean, they've gotten so good at killing zombies at this point that unless there's like a giant horde, zombies are just kind of a background element. They're like a force of nature or the weather. They exist, but they don't truly rule the landscape. Uh, now imagine there was like, there was no state sanctioned threat of violence to keep humanity's worst impulses in check. And everyone was so adapted to stabbing humanoid creatures in the head. Of course, psychotic leaders are going to arise. And after this show, I look at all of my acquaintances in a different way. I'm positive that I know people who under the right conditions would become a governor character or a Negan type or even a Rick type. And I I would imagine that 
everyone has a few acquaintances that they th- that they realize if the world were to fall into this apocalyptic ruin, it would be very easy to see some people becoming these psychotic cult leaders. I hope I would be the Samantha type. <laughs> Sex in the city. Here we go. <laughs> oh, here we go. As long as I get to marry a Charlotte type. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, I had, a, I had a thought about that and we're going to come back to it. Continue. <laughs> All right. Well, psychotic leaders have kind of been like a, uh, they've been kind of like uh, markers on the show. Like when a different psychotic leader comes into the, into the story, it usually kicks off some sort of war with Rick's group. And in season seven, we talked about it earlier when Negan brutalizes the group, killing Glenn, killing Abraham, uh, it kicks off the two season story that results in all that war. And, like we mentioned earlier, that became uh, totally boring. But there was another moment in that war that I thought was standout, and it was something that I'd never really seen or thought about in zombie fiction. But there's a uh, there's a gunfight where people are getting shot behind the front lines. So there's like you know two armies clashing, and the the fight goes on for so long that the the people that have been killed behind the front lines start rising up, and all of a sudden there's also, there's zombies bracketing the battle. And uh, as much as the, you know, as much as like that era of the show was a slog, the Savior War, that was a really cool concept and something that I thought was like a total breath of originality, something that so they're getting I'd flanked. never seen before. You basically, the, your army's getting flanked by your own becoming the enemy. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's a cool idea, and that's stuff. I, I love that they're that they explore like new ideas with zombies because I think one of the the major complaints about zombies in general is just that the idea is stale and there's nothing new happening with it. Right. But I, the Walking totally. Dead is consistently giving these kind of new scenarios. You know, it, on that thought, I remembered what I was going to say in terms of uh, you know in a world where all these psychotic leaders rise to the top. I mean, you wouldn't even have to be the type to turn into a psychotic leader. Like, given enough time on this type of landscape, dealing with these types of issues, I mean, the the people that are going to be left that aren't zombies that haven't been bitten are uh, they they're they've experienced a lot of trauma. <laughs> they've probably had to do horrible things to still be alive. They've had to steal. They've had to kill. Um, they're probably hungry. They're probably desperate. And they probably don't have a lot of sense of trust. So even like the best humans that are left behind are still probably pretty dangerous. Yeah, I feel like at a certain point, you would have to be just an all out predator to still be alive. Exactly. Totally. And something that this showed, another thing, this is so cool. And this is something that you only get with having, you know, 11 years to explore a story is they they offer like a really good sense of perspective. Uh, it, the heroes of the, of this show are just the people that we happen to be following from the beginning. And it's like, you're saying like everyone is extremely dangerous and probably some sort of sociopath when you get down to it. But the, uh, you know, Rick's group who you're following from the very beginning, they seem like the good guys because We've been there every step of the way with their decision-making process, but it would very easily uh, 
it would be very easy to classify Rick's group as the villains if we had started with someone else like, say, Negan's group. 100%. Who is one of the, yeah. one of the major bad guys of the show. And, I mean, sure, like, Negan's group is horrific, but maybe, you know, he's just a little bit more flamboyant about embracing the evil acts that, re- that are required to survive in this world. You know, Rick's group has perpetrated countless unprovoked murders. They left innocent people to die. They've abandoned people in need. It all just seemed justified because the story started with Rick. And if we had followed Negan from the beginning, you know, we would be rooting for him to defeat and subjugate Rick's group. And we might even applaud him for bashing in Glenn's skull, like one of the most popular characters on the show, just to teach these assholes a lesson. Because when you, you know, you got to face it, like that all started because Rick's group went in to one of their, the savior outposts and just killed everyone for no reason. I, know, I do remember seeing a Negan story arc uh, where it like dove into his backstory a little bit more. And uh, it, it definitely reminded me of the genius of the show because at, like before uh, the, those few episodes or those scenes, you never would have found any redeeming qualities in Negan. But like these people are just forced to survive and they have definitely gone down a certain path. Uh, for survival and you can't really fault him for that because none of us have ever been in that situation thankfully well you know it really speaks to negan's character and and the writing of him that uh he he's the poster child for the worst era in the show's history savior war boo but his backstory (laughs) episode the one that i think you're referring to yeah it's a it came out last season it was called here's negan and during uh covid they had to do a lot of these these kind of like small personal episodes where they had like only two or three main characters because of COVID and his background episode, I would say in my opinion, it was the greatest episode in this show's entire run. And I would put it up there with some of the greatest episodes of TV that I've ever seen up there with the best episodes of breaking bad easily. And it's just, it's so great because you've spent the entire show hating him and it, it sheds this very sympathetic sympathetic light on him. It reveals his history before the apocalypse. And it it just shows you things that give you the same kind of perspective you had on Rick's story. He did love. And he did. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, the, the comics have been out for years and it's no secret that he named his uh, bat Lucille after his dead wife. But it tells the story of her death and kind of like Negan's uh, his being broken by this world. And, you know, he is beyond compelling. Jeffrey D. Morgan is such an awesome actor and uh, his character seems very real. He could have easily been the lead of this. And some of the plot points might have been different, but I think the end game would be the exact same. We may be in almost an identical place if we'd been following Negan's story from the beginning. Yeah, for sure. But we wouldn't have had that one word ringing through our minds after season one. Carl. Carl. <laughs> That's some of that uh, questionable Southern accent <laughs> I was referring Carl. to. Carl. So I, I did. Uh, I pulled together some uh, controversies from the show over the Ooh. years. <laughs> so there have been a handful of these. Uh, most of these things are the product of pampered fans with internet access and too much time in their hands. <laughs> 
In other words, people being little bitches. But uh, <laughs> I'll link that. Now we're going to have some controversy on this show. Yes. Yeah, so I'll link this in the show notes. It's pretty interesting. But these are these are things that people complained about with this show. And you got to keep in mind, this is a show where hundreds of people are shot or stabbed in the face in every episode. So there was an episode where uh, Rick Grimes' son, Carl, he... Uh, <laughs> He was almost sexually assaulted by this group of bad guys, and uh, this caused quite an uproar on the internet. Uh, and there was also an episode where a child who had murdered her own sister was uh, executed by one of the main characters, and I guess the internet didn't like that either. I even do remember that episode. That was pretty freaking gnarly. It is, and it's one of the best moments on the show. It's, totally. It's, oh, like, it's, the show it's does not pull punches. Haunting. Exactly. It's one of the great things about the show. Exactly. Sure. But uh, still, you should maybe start a petition and try to get them to make the show less awesome by complaining about these <laughs> things. Uh, there was an episode where Rick has to kill infected pigs to keep this sickness from spreading. And people claim that they thought killing animals was an immoral was an immoral act, despite the massive human body count on every episode. <laughs> people didn't like it when an animal had to die. But these are all believable things that you might expect in a world like this where, you know, all the things, these are all things you kind of sign up for on a show, which is called The Walking Dead. So, you know, I mean, death is just a part of it. And of course, without any police force, no one enforcing rules, I mean, you're going to get crazy things like these guys trying to sexually assault Carl or having to kill a child. You know, it's all like, it's all very disturbing acts that honestly, they're not that far outside of the realm of the world that we live in right now. You know, this this reminds me of um, a Ricky Gervais, one of my favorite comedians, writers, uh, a segment. I think he, it was on Sam Harris's podcast, but he told this hilarious story about and I don't remember the details of it. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but somebody like tweeted at him or came up to him after the show and was really upset because he made an inappropriate joke about allergies or something like that. And he was looking at this lady and he's like. I make jokes about AIDS. I make jokes <laughs> about pedophiles, Nazis. And the one that was offensive to you is a joke about allergies. And the lady was like, well, my daughter has a peanut allergy and you can never, you can never make jokes about a peanut allergy. It's never funny, but she didn't have a problem with the, you know, the Nazis or the AIDS or so um, it just goes to show you know, you, you, you're never going to please everybody because there's always going to be for everybody. A Karen. What? There's always going to be a Karen. A Karen. There you go. Oh, now we're going to get the emails from all the Karens out there that are Great. offended me. <laughs> well, there was a, there actually were some real world controversies. Uh, so in the first episode, Michael Rooker plays Merle. He's a, there's a sniper scene where he's shooting zombies down in the streets of Atlanta and the SWAT team got called on the production because people thought that it was a real active shooter. I could definitely see that being a problem. Yeah. Wow. And then there was these, uh, there, there was this scratch off lottery, uh, cross promotion with the walking dead. And one of the commercials showed, uh, a, a person scratching off the card with a severed Walker finger. And then some oh stupid God. lady in, in Colorado <laughs> complained saying it was disturbing and it gave her nightmares. But you know what? That sounds like a lottery player to me. 
<laughs> oh, or man. There, an actual crazy one. Uh, there was one actress, uh, Shannon Richardson, uh, whose name is public knowledge because of uh, this case. She played various walkers over the years, but she was sentenced to 18 years in prison for manufacturing and mailing ricin to Obama and Mayor Bloomberg for political reasons. Wow. That is some Walter White shit right there. Wait, the real life actress that played walkers sent ricin to Obama? Yes. Yeah. Okay, now that's a controversy that seems kind of legit to, to Yeah, that's hear about pretty that. bad. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I don't that's- I don't think that uh, the Walking Dead condoned this action. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they didn't. That reminds that reminds me of the actor in Silicon Valley um that plays the character. I can't remember his name, but he um takes care of the net the the um oh what do you call it it's like the house where all the tech entrepreneurs stay in and he tries to negotiate instead of rent he just takes like small per- percentages of these companies that might go public and go big one day but the, in real life this actor called in a fake bomb threat on a train or on a subway uh because he was like pissed off at somebody on the subway Yikes. Yeah. You get fired from the show? He did. And they were, they uh, like, I would imagine. They wrote him out of the show, but they made like jokes about him and his character in the show. So they like, they took it in good stride. It was pretty great show. Silicon Valley. Great I, bet, show. I bet he didn't take it in such great stride. He's probably in jail now. I have no idea. Hope yeah. he's doing okay. So I want to, I do want to talk about why the show is ending with season 11 because I know that was kind of a heartbreaker for me finding that out. Uh, so I looked into why it was happening, and the, apparently the show was always slated to end after season 12. That was going to carry the characters through the final storyline arc of the comic, and uh, the effort was to conclude the main show before it outpaced its source material. I think they wanted to avoid the Game of Thrones effect, yeah, where the final season sucks so hard of that. <laughs> but uh, with COVID, the show's production was halted, and it was like right before the season finale, and we had to wait months to see the finale. And I was under the impression that a show like this, which features so many visual effects, would be finished months ahead. And they were, you know, the whole season sitting in the hopper before the first episode ever aired. But apparently, post production is running in real time as the show is airing. Wow. That seems super stressful to me with a show this FX intensive. Yeah, it's like South but Park. It, yeah, they're just making them like three days before they air. That's insane. But it, it kind of makes sense because a few seasons back they started taking like a mid-season break, and now that I, you know, now that I know they're making it real time, that makes sense. You know, they're taking three months off to finish the back half of the season. But uh, so after the production was halted for uh, COVID, the decision was made to conclude the show with season eleven, and. The producers ordered an additional six episodes to air in season 10. And that's like where we got the Here's Negan episode and a bunch of other really cool episodes. Like this show really benefited from uh, toning the cast down for a few few weeks. But, uh, you know, these were those were like smaller episodes with smaller cast that filled in backstory. And honestly, like it was great. They did a great job with that. And, you know, I know with creating art some of my greatest stuff comes from having to work within restrictions so it's cool to see like a massive a massive effort like this actually benefits from having to be toned down a bit covid but, was great for more than just billionaires it's true totally yeah 
I'm sure the people that work on this show are only millionaires. Yeah. So <laughs> see, all demographics were benefited. <laughs> but uh, you know, then somewhere the somewhere along the line, the production team decided to condense season eleven and twelve, the story arc, down to just an extended season eleven. So there's an additional eight episodes that were planned, and that expanded the normal 16-episode season 11 to 24 episodes. So with those six additional we got last year, in the expanded season 11, they planned a 30-episode run, which is really just two shows short of what, you know, season 11 and 12 should have been. So it's plenty of time to finish out the story. But still, like, you know, for me as a fan, it's bittersweet to see this era coming to an end. So I have an important question. Yeah. Is this the kind of show that you think I can jump back into to watch the last season? What I would do is I would uh, get on Netflix because everything is on there and I would jump back in at season nine and watch season nine and 10. And then you would be pretty well caught up. Okay. I can it's, do that. Uh, so I just skip uh, the bads. Like I don't have to start over. And rewatch from season one. I can jump in at season nine. That's what I would do, especially if you have some sort of history with the show. Okay, back you know back in the day, because you'll you'll understand. And there's a there's a massive time jump in there also. So you'd uh, you'd kind of be jumping back in after that, anyways. So season nine is where the show really gets back on track. And um, to to finish this thing out, I do want to run through some of my favorite walking dead tropes and you've watched the show too. Maybe you can throw a few in on this as well. So, uh, the first one is that all zombie skulls and I guess by relation, all human skulls appear to be made of balsa wood. You can pretty much stab a zombie or a human in this world through the temple with almost no effort. Yeah. It's uh, very impressive. Also, everyone has almost a hundred percent, a hundred percent headshot ratio, no matter what it's, uh, they almost never miss. And by extension, three arrows will last you forever. You can use those arrows over and over. You never miss. They never go flying off into the woods. They never embed in a tree, a tree trunk and snap in half. Yeah, the old uh, Hawkeye effect. Exactly. Totally. Everyone in this world. <laughs> but for some reason, when they're shooting guns at zombies, they all shoot full auto at zombies who can only be killed with headshots. That is... Probably done for dramatic effect, but I got to say, as a person who uh, appreciates action, I did not appreciate seeing them shoot full auto with zombies. (laughs) That just made me angry. Uh, In the beginning of the show, no character was safe. But then they also started to do something that was also another uh, Walking Dead hallmark, which was the fake out death, which would start to piss the internet off. Rightfully uh, so. I, I side with the internet on this topic. I do too. And occasionally they still they still pull that shit and you're like, come on, Walking Dead, get out of here. Just kill this guy already. Uh, something I've noticed lately uh, since I got my contentology degree and I've become more discerning is that the only electronic light sources that survived the apocalypse were dr- the dramatic variety. <laughs> there is always dramatic lighting in places that should be pitch black in a world without electricity. But I guess that's probably so they can capture those sweet, sweet silhouettes on screen. I got a good trope and, for you. I, yeah, what is it? It's probably on your list, though. I think I got this from Cracked. But where are the bicycles? 
hey, first episode's got a bike, and then you never see one again. <laughs> Where the bike is the perfect zombie vehicle. It doesn't require gas. It moves much faster than a zombie. You can take it off-road. It's silent. Hello, people. You know, probably the best uh, zombie bicycle use I've say. ever seen. Oh, yep. I thought you were going to say, uh, a, I thought you were going to say the one wheel is actually the best vehicle, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't need to go too far. Right. But uh, the, uh, in World War Z, they've got a really good bicycle scene, even though that movie was kind of lame. I thought Remember it was the pretty scene good. Where they're, I thought it was where pretty they're, good. Uh, I agree to disagree. Okay. But the scene where they're going through the airport uh, and all the zombies are like, laying all around them. They have to sneak through on bikes. Yeah. That was a pretty good use of bicycles. A, and zombies. a squeaky wheel. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, the last tropes never say zombies, not up in here. <laughs> so in the strictest sense of the content clearinghouse's mission statement, which is to sell each other and the audience on the idea of consuming content. I think the walking dead is a perfect choice for this show. It's both celebrated and much maligned, like most pieces of pop culture whose popularity gains worldwide appeal. It's going to have its detractors. Uh, I would say that this show is kind of like uh, the Joe Rogan of zombie-themed comic books turned decade-spanning television show. <laughs> it's, uh, it's great content, but people who don't follow it pick and choose pieces that support the narrative that it's awful. And I think that's... Uh, that's exactly what happens with Joe Rogan, and that's exactly what happens with The Walking Dead. It's easy to find a lot of things that suck when taken out of context, but overall, taken as a whole, I'd say both of those things, top-notch content. Nice. But that, yeah. uh, the, the cavalcade of vocal detractors, unfortunately, has quite the influence, and that's why even I was starting to doubt myself about my love for this show. So I'm here to tell you guys that if you haven't watched this show... And if you respect our opinion on the content clearinghouse, watch it now. Like the whole thing, like I said, is available on Netflix. And if you used to watch it, but you fell off like I almost did, uh, there's no better time to get back into it. Just like I told Brett, skip season eight. Just know that Grip's, uh, Rick's group won the war and then jump back in at season nine and see how Angela King, the new showrunner, has not only got the show back on track, but has made it better than it has been in years. And this is one of the best pieces of live action zombie fiction available. Uh, this is a show that doesn't pull any punches as evidenced by the opening scene of the entire series, which shows Rick Grimes shooting a little girl zombie right in the face and has not let up from there. So get back on the train of this cultural phenomenon and witness with all of us in real time, how this Epic story is going to end. I'm going to do it. I'm going to yes. do it. Are they releasing episodes live on Netflix or no, I know it's an um, AMC show. So I'm guessing. We yeah. Have to, so we got uh -huh. AMC plus because we canceled our cable, like true contentologists. I got gotcha. rid of all the trash channels, but, uh, you know, AMC plus is like, uh, it's just all the AMC shows, which they have so much awesome stuff on there. And I realized late, uh, recently I was like, man, there are too many streaming platforms. But also, like five years ago, when cable had HBO and Cinemax and Showtime, I used to think, man, I wish I could just buy the show, the, ch oh, the yeah. channels I like and get rid of all the other crap. So now that that's available, of course, I'm not happy. Now I'm an old man. I think right. there's too many streaming <laughs> services, so I'll never be satisfied. Uh, the old hedonic treadmill. 
Well, for our <laughs> listeners out there like me that want to watch this and jump on this bandwagon, once I replace Josh and take over his life, I will take his AMC Plus membership details, his logins, his passwords. I will publish them on our social media. That's uh, <laughs> at the Content Clearinghouse on Instagram. Um, or you can email us for them, contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or our Facebook page, The Content Clearinghouse. And I'll make sure that you can also watch AMC for free because that's how we do it here. Um, but uh, no, Josh, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out. I was a huge Walking Dead fan. I'm here to validate your feelings. I don't think you should be in the closet about your love for this fantastic zombie content. Um, uh, that's I- a closet door opening. <laughs> Coming out. I think you should be out and proud. I mean, it is honestly, um, there are moments that are so iconic uh, there's a lot of uh, fun rabbit holes for kind of content nerds like me. Like, how does Michonne get those zombies to follow her around without biting her? Is it Does she train them? Is it just chopping off the jaws? How does this work? There's lots of fun. You're looking it's at, chopping off the jaws. It is chopping you off nailed the it. jaws. Okay. Yep, second try. You got it. All right. Well, I'm glad I did a little better on that piece of trivia. Uh, well, thanks for tuning in. And we look forward to having you back in two weeks, we hope, and uh, enjoy that sweet, sweet zombie content. I was even thinking it was The Walking Dead. I don't know why I didn't guess The Walking Dead, but that Marvel, uh, that Marvel cast member hint really threw me off the, the scent of the trail for sure. Well, where did you start to... Uh... Uh, focus in on it possibly being The Walking Dead. What was the hint? Uh, when you said zombies. No, uh, uh, when, the last one. <laughs> no, when you were talking no, uh, it like nomadic, like they were like traveling across uh, the Northeast or something like that. That that should have tipped it off for me and I just should have thrown out what I was in the back, very back of my mind. But I had zombie brain. What were you thinking? Sex in the city? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you would survive a zombie apocalypse. I have no doubt. I, I've thought about this a lot. I like. I don't think I would. I, you know, and I'm not being uh, self-critical here. I'm just exercising some self-honesty. I don't think I'd make it very long. I mean, sometimes I'm not sure I'm going to make it when I don't have Chipotle in a while. <laughs> nah, you nah, know what nah, I mean. Nah, you'll be fine. Uh, why don't you think you would make it? I don't know. I just think that some people have like. Okay, I I think when you told me uh, that, I don't know, maybe it was on the show, maybe it wasn't, but you said that you had a dream or something about surviving a zombie apocalypse and you were going to remove the stairs from your house. I was like, clearly, I haven't been thinking about this enough to survive. I haven't been training my whole life. Like when we went on Halloween to a zombie shooting <laughs> so uh, it was like a haunted house but we had guns with us uh like airsoft guns or laser guns or something with actors that were like i mean i know they're not supposed to touch you but like i feel like a few of them made contact with us i and we had to and you had tactics you were like it, it seemed like you had gone you had just you were fresh out of zombie uh boot boot camp zombie attack training or something like that and so i just i don't i i think DV, our super fan and frequent listener, frequent writer. DV would make it for sure. I'm heading to DV's house. You would make it. Prokoski, he would make it. My wife would probably make it. 
Mando would make it. The Mando Airstream would make, would make it. it. <laughs> Bre- uh, Brett, you'd be the only one. You know what, though? I mean, I agree with you. DV would definitely make it. I'd be going to DV's house, too. <laughs> I think that my zombie knowledge is probably more pop culture-based and uh, video game-based instead of actual real-world survivability. But uh, I do appreciate the vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah. I would I would probably tell you to use a health kit to replenish, uh, <laughs> replenish your health bar, eat a turkey leg off the ground. I'd have nothing but video game solutions to real-world problems. Uh, you know that's not true. You know you've imagined <laughs> this happening in real life. I and have. I didn't mean it as a compliment. I actually... I mean, I think you would rise to the top as a psychopathic leader. Perfect. But, uh, I've yeah. always wanted an excuse to <laughs> let my true nature out. <laughs> and stop. I forgot to tell you about the most significant thing about our travel this weekend. Yeah. Uh, on Sunday, we were flying home. Okay. And uh, on the in the row next to us, like across the aisle... There was this big, tall dude. He was probably like 6'4". He was sitting in the middle seat. And uh, Melissa, is. she goes, hey, is that guy sleeping? And I look over, and he's, he's down like this. His head is against the, the, head re- or the, the chair in front of him. Like he's bent over completely in half. And he's just pushing the top of his head into the seat. And then I was like, I don't know. I think he might be dead. So (laughs) then. This doesn't sound good. A a few minutes later, he kind of like sits up and he rolls over and he falls into the woman against the the window's lap. And she's like, oh, because everybody's wearing masks. You know, it's like on a plane. You're already in close contact, COVID and everything. And she like, she's kind of like, get this guy out of here. And uh, next to him on the other side, in the aisle side, was this, I think he was like a retired cop. He had like a veteran's police veteran badges and stuff on his jacket but he he looks over at us and he's just like kind of shaking his head like i have no idea what's going on well they try to wake this guy up and he sits up and his eyes just can't even pry him open just barely open his eyes and i mean at that point it was kind of clear like this guy is totally on drugs and melissa and i were kind of debating like is he just drunk and i was like i think this guy might be on heroin because he is just completely out of it so he falls over in their laps a few more times and then he starts to come to the the first thing he does is he pulls his mask down Melissa called it the the uh the gravy pour it looked like a it looked like a beak <laughs> out, in front of, out in front of his head completely exposing his nose and mouth to the air above him and so then he sat like that for a little bit and then he pulled his mask up. So it was just covering his nose and the bottom of his eyes. His mouth was exposed. I called that one the center shelf. Cause it looked like a, <laughs> looked like a drawer had been pulled out in the middle. What the heck? And, and then the weirdest thing is at one point he, he's messing with his mask and he turns away from us. We can't see what he's doing, but when he turns around, he's got, one finger in his nose and he's just making eye contact with the ex-cop for probably like 15, 20 seconds. So long that the guy is like, are you okay? Like, what is happening here? And it was just like the most awkward human interaction I think I've ever seen. And then at the end, he just put his fedora on and he just, after you, my lady, to Melissa, and then walked, walked away like nothing ever happened. It was so strange. 
Wow, I, I, I feel bad for the guy. I hope he's okay. Man. Uh, I know, uh, you know, flying is, uh, there's a lot of nervous flyers out there, and aviation is a little bit, um, it can be a little bit stressful traveling by air right now, but, you know, if you get out there, just go easy on the heroin, okay? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe... Maybe learn some breathing techniques or something. Maybe he didn't intend to do heroin. Maybe the balloon burst. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Josh. <laughs>